And I think when you have those moments that could be perceived as a negative event, you know, my, I, I got divorced a lot, really long time ago. That was another one. When you have these moments that are sort of negative, you might think those moments can actually help you a lot if you reflect on that moment and sort of recalibrate on what you want to do with your life. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Morgan, and today we're out in the backyard. We're going to be grilling up some chicken and steak kebabs, one of my favorite things, super easy, super quick. might actually get to see me eat a little bit of that stuff today. And I'm joined by my new friend, Christian Espinoza. Now, Christian is an author. Uh, he has done all sorts of cool things in his career as a cybersecurity expert and has a super inspiring story. So welcome to the show, Christian. Yeah, thanks, Jared. I'm excited for your grilling. See how it turns out. <laughs> yeah. So you're in Idaho, right? I am in Idaho at the moment, yes. Okay. I own a house in Idaho, but I, I'm always somewhere different. I've been living in a motorhome north of Phoenix for a while. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm going to... Do you do much grilling up in Idaho or wherever you are? Do you do... I guess if you're moving around a lot, maybe it's harder to do that. I do grilling uh, in the motorhome. Yeah. Now, is that harder or easier to do? It's snowing here, so they're not not doing too much grilling right now in Idaho. Dude, it's snowing there. I, I'm literally fighting a sweat here in Alabama right now. It's early December, and I am sweating. That is, <laughs> I'm I, I wish it's not putting me in the Christmas spirit. That's for sure. This kind of yeah. weather. So we've got some orange uh, glazed chicken kebabs, and we've got some black garlic steak kebabs. You see that pretty well. Looks pretty good. Now, what's cool about these is they're not going to be, they're not going to take that long. So uh, I'm going to hit my probes in them to make sure we don't overcook them. Kebabs will cook very fast, obviously, because it's a small cut of meat. So there's just not that much matter to probe through with the heat. And so that's why I say you'll probably actually get a chance to see me eat some of this this time. Not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's a good or a bad thing, but <laughs> awesome. Okay. So cybersecurity experts, you've done a whole bunch of stuff. Um, tell me about your role today. What, what are you doing these days? Um, I know you've been, you've been doing a lot in the cybersecurity realm for a long time. I sold my cybersecurity business, uh, Alpine Security, in December of 2020. And then I left the parent company, Cerberus Sentinel, in June. And since then, I've been doing a lot of real estate investing. Uh, I'm working on my second book. Wow. I'm working on a TED Talk, okay, and I'm preparing to launch my next cybersecurity company, which will I'll launch here in January. I'm getting that strategy and plan all uh, figured out right now. Well, that's really exciting. What's your uh, What's your TED Talk going to be about? It's aligned with my next book, which is on sort of the small moments. I think between the big moments in life, for like people that are super high achievers, we tend to always be looking to accomplish that big goal that, you know, and we often overlook the small things along the journey. So my book is about focusing back on those small things in a way, those micro moments, as I like to call them, in a way that will enhance our lives and the lives of other people. You've had quite a journey to get to where you are. You've, and, and it's no, I mean, you sort of glossed over that, like it's no big deal, but you know, congratulations on selling, growing, starting growing and selling a business, like being able to sell a business um, anytime is, is an impressive thing. 
And, you know, most businesses don't even really make it off the launch pad. And then the rest of them don't even make it a year. And so to get all the way to the end of the, the finish line like that is, is really, really impressive. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Why don't you back up and tell me a little bit about your story? Um, where did you grow up? And I, I know you kind of went through a lot of stuff. You've shared some of that publicly before. I was born in California and my childhood was very chaotic. We moved to Arkansas when I was 12. So I went from Riverside, California, a big city, basically a suburb of LA to this town called Knoxville, um, Arkansas, which had like 800 people. (laughs) Um, And wow. Yeah, it was quite the culture shock. And Arkansas from California, which is a big change too, right? (laughs) Definitely a big change. Yeah. and throughout the journey, my, my mother's always been a, was always addicted to like prescription medication and it kind of got worse. Uh, so my childhood was very chaotic. We were on welfare and WIC, which is where they give you like government cheese and uh, food, you know, food stamps, all that stuff. And it, it, it was pretty uh, embarrassing and difficult. And I lived with my grandparents my senior year to try to have some more stability. And then I, I applied for every military academy there was and ended up getting accepted to I got accepted to all of them but I chose to go to the Air Force Academy so that was like my ticket sort of out of my chaotic childhood that was in the military for about six years wow so were your was your mom still married to your dad or or did you have two parents or was it a one-parent household when you were going through all that I my real father I I've never met my real father my mom divorced him when I think I was like five months old and then my stepfather David moved with us to Arkansas, and then he left shortly after that, after we moved there. So it was just after like maybe six months in Arkansas, it was just my mother and my two half-brothers from David and myself. And you lived with your grandparents your senior year. When you when you went into your senior year, did you really have a plan, or did you sort of just move to the military because you weren't, you weren't really sure what you wanted to do, or was that always the plan? My plan was to get out of my environment and get out of Arkansas because uh, I associated that with my environment. Sure. Uh, so I applied for every scholarship there was, uh, I, and I ended up getting more uh, scholarships than my entire class combined uh, when I graduated because I was pretty driven to to change my circumstances. I didn't even want to like have a girlfriend or, or anything that would distract me from like getting out of the situation, basically. It, w- it was like, you know, I could have easily fallen victim to my situa- situation with my mother, but I, I f- found it motivating in a way to to get out of that environment and do something better with my life. When did you realize something was wrong with your mind? You, you talked about, you know, I just wanted to change my environment. I was You were super focused on that. Did you gradually get there mentally or did you know from an early age that something was wrong? I always knew internally there was something inside me that said this environment is 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 not the right environment that there's a, a better way of living in one specific moment that kind of solidified that this was not right was a mother's day i think i was probably 9 years old uh, and it was mother's day and i was like walking home from school and this is, this is in california uh, back then you know you could walk to and from school without being kidnapped basically uh, so it's different now <laughs> But I was walking back to school and I heard like loud music playing from my, from my house. And it was um, Bob Dylan. It was super loud. And typically when that my mom was playing Bob Dylan super loud, there was something wrong. So when I walked in the house, uh, 
it was a pretty chaotic scene. My mother was on whatever drug she was on. My stepfather wasn't there. And she collected these glass eggs. So she had this bowl of these like cool looking glass eggs. But what happened is I don't know why she did this, but she took the glass eggs and threw them at all the pictures that she had hung up with glass framing. So there's glass from the pictures on the floor. And then we had these aquariums. She took the glass eggs and threw them at the aquariums and the aquariums broke. So there's like water and glass on the floor and like fish like flopping in the glass. And it was like the most bizarre scene, you know, as a nine-year-old. So I I just kind of like looked at it. And then what I would do typically when something like that happened is like retreat to nature. So there's this place I would go, this hill in the back of my house. I climbed up that hill and just kind of sat there and reflected on things until things calmed down. So I think my chaotic childhood also gave me a good love for nature as well. Wow. And you were nine. Yeah. You were nine years old when this was happening. Did this happen a lot? Various things to that degree happened quite a bit. Yeah. Wow. And so by the time you get to high school, I can see, I I can certainly tell like it's clearly you want to change your, you want to change your circumstance. You get into the military. How many years were in the military? I was in the military six years after the Air Force Academy. So 10 years total if you count the Air Force Academy. Okay, wow. And when you come out, was there a plan to get into entrepreneurship and, and dive into cybersecurity? Or, or how did where did you go when you got out? When I got out of the military, I one of the things that I didn't have growing up was stability. So I wanted stability uh, and certainty when I graduated and when I got out of the military. So I got a job as a defense contractor, you know, bought a house, was married, had the, you know, typical checkbox of all the successes people think. Um, and I did cybersecurity in the military. And I, I, I did, my first job was doing cybersecurity as an employee and a defense contractor. Uh, I, I, the entrepreneurship wasn't really on my mind at that point. It was more just the stable stability and a stable life a stable life because I didn't have it growing up really. Did you ever have a relationship with your mom after you sort of left for the military or did that end? My relationship with my mom was always a little bit strained. Uh, and I used to have a lot of resentment for my mom because my half brothers, as I mentioned, uh, the chaotic childhood took a little more toll on them than me. So one of the things I I've had to work on is reframing, uh, what, that childhood and what my relationship with my mother meant to me. Because I think ultimately, like, life has no meaning. The The only meaning there is is what we assign to something. And I had assigned that resentment and that uh, kind of, like, hate and that feeling of, like, you know, I didn't have a normal childhood, which was holding me back in life. So I, I, I reframed that and decided, you know, my mother was doing the best she could do with the resources she had. And if I had a different childhood, I may not have turned out the way I did. So I changed it from the resent, resent to re- resentfulness to more of a gratitude for my childhood. Anthony Robbins says that uh, as well. You know, he, he had a pretty rough upbringing and he says he, he blames his mother for a lot of things, but also a lot of positive things. And like he just wouldn't have been able to come become the person and come to the place he was in life had he not been there. You said something there I thought it was really interesting, though. He said, life has no meaning except the meaning you sort of ascribe to it. And I think that's such a neat way to frame your experience, but really everybody's experience. It's, it's such a way to take ownership of how you're going to react to the things that have happened around you. And it's, 
certainly like the opposite of the victim mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Where did you get, I mean, we're going to get to the story of how you started this company and I, I can't wait to hear it or whatever, but like, it's so interesting to get the backstory. Where did you get that grit to know what you needed to do or, or know that you wanted to take ownership and, and be something different? Cause so many people fall into a victim mentality if they've been faced with something like that. I think for me, I was, and I still am, I'm, I'm competitive. Uh, so, so one of the you know driving factors for me was to be the best academically, the best athletically, and that competitiveness helped me. And ironically, I was just talking to, um, I graduated number two in my class, and I was talking to the number one person, a, a friend of mine, and... You know, I was talking to her. She's got pancreatic cancer. Is like saying her goodbyes to me, basically. Oh wow! Yeah, and you know, I was t- I was telling her because it's true that because she was ahead of me academically, it motivated me to do better because I wanted to you know be number one. So you know, our, our friendship over the years has been a great friendship, and uh, we kind of motivated each other to do better academically in in high school. So I think that grit for me was really just because I'm, I'm competitive. I don't like to to not win at something. You know, it's like maybe it's just a natural trait in my DNA or something. Sure. So how, how did you get to a place where you, let's let's talk about your company. What was the name of your company, by the way? Alpine Security. When did you start Alpine exactly? What year was it? I started Alpine Security uh, in the end of 2014. Wow. So you six year run. That's not that's not bad. It could be. It took me a lot longer <laughs> to get to where I was going. So that's impressive. So you started that business. Tell me about that process. What what made you want to jump out and start your own cybersecurity company? I was working as a VP for a, a company, and I was making a lot of money. I you know I, I was pretty successful, but I had this running running with a CEO where I didn't see eye to eye with her, and I decided one day just to quit without having another another job lined up. And this is the first time I, I had quit a job without having another job. But I decided like the the wear and tear on me mentally and emotionally was too much. So it didn't matter how much money they paid me. I just needed to go somewhere else. Like so I quit and I decided to do freelance work at that point. So then I did freelance work uh, or solopreneur work, as they like to call it, for about six years. And then I had so many opportunities come my way that I thought, well... Maybe this is the universe telling me I should start a business and hire some people and contribute at a higher level because I can hire people, help the economy, help train people in, a, in my culture and my beliefs and provide a better service than other cybersecurity providers. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's like a negative experience that motivates you to want to do it the right way, right? And you learn a lot. I think you probably learn more from being around failure or people not doing it correctly than you do being around someone who is pristine and and does it well so you started that business was and it was a i guess you said like a solopreneur one-man band for a little while did you how many did you ever add people as you went along yeah i ended up uh at first having independent contractors and then i put people on payroll i had up to 16 people at one point on payroll wow so what kind of cybersecurity work did you guys do we mainly focused on penetration testing, which is ethical hacking, uh, and then I niched it down to medical device cybersecurity because uh, I, I believe there's a lot of advance, advances in healthcare and in medical technology, 
And I don't want to see those advances rolled back because of cyber um, criminals breaking into those devices. And, you know, I'd hate for my loved one to be in the hospital and have their drug infusion pump tacked into and die because somebody increases the flow rate of a, a drug, for instance. So it's very, it's a very tangible and a very needed market. And I, not a lot of people were doing that. So I niched it down and kind of focused on like the blue ocean strategy and, and became really good at that specific thing, uh, which resulted in us getting lots of leads from our website and really uh, growing that, that specific area of the business more so than the other ones. I'm going to check the grill while we're talking, but you said you said a cool phrase there that I'm not sure everybody knows. Ooh, chicken's getting close to being done. Um <laughs> The uh, you said blue ocean strategy and as opposed to a red ocean strategy, can you explain what what those two things are? Yeah, a red ocean strategy. The ocean's red because there's lots of blood in it. Uh, so it's like <laughs> every everybody's like going after the same clients and and it's it's very competitive and success is a lot less likely. A blue ocean strategy where there's not a lot of people in that ocean. There there's not a lot of competition. Uh, so with medical devices, that was more blue ocean because just with cybersecurity by itself, just as a whole, it's it's more red ocean. But if since I niched it down to medical device cybersecurity, that was more blue ocean. There's only a few competitors in that space, which makes right. it easier to get clients. But it's, it's, it's counterintuitive because we often think if we niche something down uh, a lot, then we're not going to have as many clients or as much success, but it's actually the opposite happens. Yeah. Well, and you get better. I, I agree. Like, I think if you try to be too many things to too many people, you end up being not really good at anything. Right? <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, in, in college, they always say, we try to make you well-rounded. So we always said, well, you're making us so well-rounded. We have no point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a, um, but there's a, there's a, you know, I think that's so smart because there's a, there's you sort of said it like you niched it down, but I mean there's like a lot of cybersecurity firms out there. It's a growing field, but for you to specialize in something and particularly something, you know, medical device cybersecurity, which you know, is a, is a booming part of the medical industry, right? And and certainly there's not a lot of people specializing in that. I think that was really smart. Obviously, it paid dividends. Um, by the way, there you go. If you want a good shot of. How we're doing there? Can we see that? Yeah, it looks good. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna let it cool a little bit, and then we'll dig into it. So, um, you grew and you grew. You got into 2020. How did the pandemic affect your business? Because it's interesting you transacted in the in the pandemic year. So, did that affect your business at all, or did it just keep growing? Uh, it affected the business quite a bit. Uh, we we did training as well, uh, and a lot of our students use ProctorU for their uh, exams. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So very, there you go. Very familiar with it. We did EC Council uh, training, so Proctor U oh, is yeah. the preferred platform. EC Council, we love those guys. Yeah, so a lot of uh, students stopped enrolling uh, in our classes, so our because we did live classes, so that dried up, and then a lot of our clients uh, were afraid to make a decision to move forward with a, a penetration test or a medical device uh, assessment. So I had to make some tough decisions in in. First, I reduced people's pay, and then I had to lay some people off, and I had to just flat out fire some people uh, to get through the pandemic. It was a hard time for a lot of businesses. Um, so what did you learn from that experience, that, that pandemic experience? Is there something you would have done differently? I would have probably not 
cut everything so close, I would have had more of a reserve uh, and preparation for something like that uh, before I was trying to grow as quickly as possible, the company. So any money we had, I used it for growth or marketing or or some new strategy. And I didn't have a lot of reserves for, I wasn't really prepared for something that severe to happen. And, and I know there's a balance there, but I think moving forward, I would be more prepared. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, when the business continuity is was like a really, to use your word, kind of a nichey thing. Not a lot of people talked about it. And then after the pandemic, like it's front and center, right? And thinking about how you harden your business against all sorts of, you know, you know, outages and financial problems and things. Um, it's hard to do. And frankly, like when you, if you have investors and things like that, you're not always um, encouraged to do that. I know. Yeah. One of the things we did at Proctor U was. We had um, locations all over the world so that we could survive. It wasn't pandemics. It was like natural disasters. We'd had a couple of hurricanes that had taken out some of our facilities and taken them offline for a while, and it really hurt our business years ago. And so we had built like a network of locations. So, so we were, you know, the sun never sets on Proctor U kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, took a lot of heat from that. I mean, there was, there was multiple times we'd be in – board meetings or meeting with investors and things. And they're like, well, why are you doing that? You know, your competitor over there is only in one place and they own that place and look at their profits. And, uh, we knew just inherently that that was too much of a business risk yeah. while it, we, we'd get like the sugar high of the profits of being able to, you know, do that. We just wouldn't be hardened against now. Of course we didn't realize there's gonna be a pandemic, but then, um, there's one of the reasons why that was one of the reasons why we soared, um, during the pandemic when a lot of our, competitors really struggle was because we had had that i wish we could say we had all of that hardness and everything but in that core competency um we did and we were fortunate but I, those lessons are hard i mean we didn't we look foolish kind of before the pandemic like people are like what are you doing like <laughs> hit the gas man F- you know focus get 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 efficient get one location and you know it's it's funny sometimes you know you look stupid until you look look brilliant sometimes um but you, I mean, you've built, so you sold your company, um, you're writing books, you got a Ted talk going, you know, it sounds like you got like a good, a lot of good things going on in your life. What does that tough background that you had do for your perspective today? You're, you're a high achieving guy. You've done a lot of really cool things that very few people have ever done. How does that background affect your, your, the way you look at yourself and your life today? I think it's humbled me. I, I don't feel like I'm better than anybody in any capacity because I've started from, you know, basically nothing. Uh, and I have a lot of empathy for people in a similar situation. I, also, I, I think in life, you know, I've had these certain things that happen, like the moment with a fish, for instance. Uh, this year in, in February, I have oh, I discovered I had six blood clots in my leg and I almost died. Oh, wow. So these certain moments that sort of like force me to reflect and recalibrate on my life. And I, and I think when you have those moments that could be perceived as a negative event, you know, my, I, I got divorced a lot, really long time ago. That was another one. When you have these moments that are sort of negative, you might think those moments can actually help you a lot if you reflect on that moment and sort of recalibrate on what you want to do with your life. Uh, like the blood clots really forced me to like slow down and, and regroup and think about what was important to me. Uh, even that conversation with my friend uh, who was saying goodbye because she has pancreatic cancer, 
uh, and is having surgery and she may not make it out of it, forced me to think about my own life and think, am I focused on what's really important? Or am I so focused on uh, accomplishing the big goal to, to feel significant that I'm missing the little things in between? And, and that's ultimately why I'm writing um, my second book is on that specific thing. Because I think as high achievers, uh, it's easy to just focus on the achievement and miss out on all the stuff along the way. You know, Christian, I don't know if your love language is is verbal or whatever, but you are <laughs> you are a badass man. Like listening to your story is um, is really something. And you know, it, it's interesting because I, I I see a guy like you who has had so many reasons to quit or to to just accept a lesser life, um, and do, and didn't do it. And there's so many people out there that <laughs> just are not starting out with the disadvantages that you have and are finding reasons why not to go for it. And I think sometimes it's like it takes people who, um, you know, them even getting to par is an unreasonable expectation given their background. And so once you're, you know, for somebody like you, uh, it's unreasonable to think that you're going to get to a good life when you have that background. So you're sort of used to unreasonable expectations, I guess, and which just sort of push you past, um, you know, where you, where you could have ended up and look and look where you, you flew to, you've done some incredible things. If you, if you could give some advice to people out there that are struggling with depression or feeling like they're not good enough or like, man, you know, why, why would, why would I be successful or why should I go for it? What would you tell somebody if they feel like their background or who they are is what's going to prevent them from, from going for their dream? I think we all have the power to change our lives. It's a matter of thinking what you want your life to look like uh, and actually taking the steps, the action and knowing that along the way, you're going to make mistakes but we have we have that that power, and we need to be persistent with it. A lot of us will start on a diet or something, for instance, and then we're not losing weight immediately, so we'll give up. Uh, often, uh, and it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I've been listening to the Power of One More by Ed Milet, and I believe in that concept. It's also talked about in Think and Grow Rich. You know, it's like often we're once one one more try or one more step away from breaking out of the cycle or breaking through, and we give up too soon. So I think knowing that and knowing that our traits with a growth mindset are not fixed, we can, our brain is not hardwired, we can rewire our brain and change our patterns, change our behavior. Those things, as well as, I think this is extremely important, surrounding yourself by the right people uh, helps a lot. I believe you're the average of the five people you hang around with. uh, And there's many people that talk about that. I think if you do those things, and you are specific on what you want to achieve, then you know the possibility of you achieving that. The probability is very high, um, but you have to like do the work. Basically, it's not just going to happen one day uh, as you're doing the same routine over and over that hasn't gotten you where you want to go. Yeah, that's so inspiring, Christian. I, by the way, I love Ed Milet too. By the way, I'm going to go check that book out. Um, he's awesome. I, I you know. It's so cool to hear your story. Now we're going, we're heading into the end of the year. Do you have a, do you have a process or something that you follow or something that you do to focus yourself for a new year or do you kind of wing it? Are you like a new year's resolution kind of guy? 
in the past, I used to wing it. Now I I have a process. I'm writing down my goals. I have goals for my book, for my talk, uh, for my real estate. And then for my business, uh, my new cybersecurity business, I use what's called the one-page strategic plan, which I think is extremely important. Uh, that's from Scaling Up, uh, Vern Harnish's uh, organization. And, and you could download that for free, but it puts basically your, your year plan on one page and all the things that are important, your values, your goals, um, your aspirational goals, your niche, your target client. I do that. And the other thing I do is work on uh, my branding to make sure I understand my client uh, and what their pain points are and my messaging that goes along with that uh, for, for my next business. That's incredible. Uh, I think this meat here has probably cooled down enough, so let's give it a try. I wish I was there to give it a try with you. You know, I got. By the way, I feel a little sheepish. Like your 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 subject matter is so poignant and awesome. And I'm listening to you tell all this cool stuff, and then I'm like, "Who's turn around and eat this steak?" You know. But hey, like this is this is the show we're in. What do you? By the way, what do you like to grill? You said you grill when you're in the RV. Like, what do you like to grill? Uh, I like to grill steak. I'm a big fan of mm. like uh, New York Strip or Casey Strip steak. Um, those are probably my favorites. Mushrooms. I grill mushrooms a lot too. What is a Casey steak? Kansas City Strip. What's the difference between that and a? New- I'm sorry, it caught me like. <laughs> this is really good, by the way. The the garlic and the pepper on it is awesome. What's the difference between a KC steak and a New York steak? You know, I don't really know what the difference is. I, I, I just <laughs> know the last steakhouse I went to had a KC uh, Kansas City strip, and I never used to order that, but it was wet and dry. Um, hmm. It's both wet and dry made, and, and I thought I'll try it, and it was awesome. But I normally just get the New York strips, but that that one was was awesome. By the way, look, mom, I just I just ate some vegetables off of the skewer so hope mom's watching this episode um christian your story was incredible man thank you so much for for sharing with us and looking for you've got the one book so what was your first book called it's called the smartest person in the room okay and where can we find that book you can find it on amazon it's also on audible i had kaleo griffith narrate it he did uh whoa trump's okay. the art of the deal and quite a few other tim Ferriss books yeah he's really good that's incredible. Well, Christian, like this has been such a good, uh, such a cool discussion. Where can people find you if they'd like to find you and, and learn a little more or get in contact with you? Probably the best place is my website. It's christianespinoza.com. I'm also on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Christian, this has been such a treat. Thank you so much for being here. Um, go find Christian online, get inspired, follow his story some more, and certainly if you like this episode, make sure you hit follow. Look for us on TikTok and Instagram. Give us a high rating on here. Hit follow for new episodes, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Christian. All right. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate it.